This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Scott. Hi, I'm Paul. And I am the one they call Fred. Not the one they call Fred. Not Learned Hans Brow, I think. Uh, they don't call you I that. have many names, but uh, Fredosphere uh, is the most common moniker on the internet that I go by. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to talk about Declare, a 2001 quote-unquote supernatural spy novel by Tim Powers. Um, yeah, it's a supernatural spy novel. <laughs> uh, historical, though, I think is is probably more importantly. And it says Secret History of the Cold War. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and pre pre Cold War too, almost. Um, when, when yeah, did you did you read the author's note at the end? Oh yeah. Okay, good. Because um, if you want, I can read a couple paragraphs sure. of that, and it really tells what he did. Go for That's it. a good idea. Okay, all right. So here we go. Um, he says, uh, in my experience, and this is Tim Powers, right? In my experience, stories never write themselves, but they do often suggest or even strongly indicate themselves. Being a John Le Carre fan, I happened one day to read his introduction to the Philby Conspiracy by Page, Leach, and Knightley, and I was so struck by the mystery surrounding Kim Philby and his father that I read that book, and then Boyle's The Fourth Man, and it soon became evident to me that a novel could be woven around these characters and events. Eventually, I discovered that, in fact, novels such as Ted Allerby's Fine, The Other Side of Silence, had already been. But as I went on to read and Eleanor Philby's Kim Philby, The Spy I Married, and Borovic and Modine's books, Providing the KGB Perspective, and Philby's own My Silent War, I found that the incidents that intrigued me were the apparently peripheral ones. I kept being nagged by a feeling that the central element of the story had been almost completely omitted to be derived now only by finding and tracing its fugitive outlines. In a way, I arrived at the plot for this book by the same method astronomers use in looking for a new planet. They look for perturbations, wobbles, in the orbits of the planets that they're aware of, and they calculate the mass and position of an unseen planet whose gravitational field could have caused the observed perturbations, and then they turn their telescopes on that part of the sky and search for a gleam. I looked at all the seemingly irrelevant wobbles in the lives of these people, Kim Philby, his father, T.E. Lawrence, Guy Burgess, And I made it an ironclad rule that I could not change or disregard any of the recorded facts, nor rearrange any days of the calendar. And then I tried to figure out what momentous but unrecorded fact could explain them all. Yeah. Um, Yep. This is is the classic secret history novel where none none of the facts that we know from our own timeline or distorted or changed. It's just that stuff that's behind the scenes that explain some of the stuff is what gets revealed here. The, the supernatural behind the curtain it's, it's secret history, which I generally don't like as much as alternate history, but when done really well and informs what we've actually seen in the real life, it works very well. And this is the classic novel of that form. Mm. So, Tim Powers uses the expression paranoid squint to describe his uh, uh, view view of history with the mm-hmm. idea of that paranoid search for the quote-unquote real truth. 
Do, do we do uh, a show on on Stranger Tides? I can't remember if that actually happened now. No, that never did happen. Okay. I, I read that book. That's him, right? Yeah, it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. It feels, feels very similar, uh, maybe a little more piratical than this one. Um, but I would hope so. <laughs> I, I'm wondering, like, this is, I think that this sort of way of writing is, it's it's pretty unique. I mean, there are people who do it, but the people who do it don't seem to, to do other things either. Or if they mm. do, they don't do it as much. Here's a question. Has Tim Powers ever written a sequel? Because I don't think he has. No, um, not, well, not he, he's, he's written novels. He's written novels in the same continuity. Last Call, Expiration Date, Earthquake Weather, have some recurring characters and take place in successive, t- successive uh, points in history. But they're all... Uh, the Stress of Her Regard has a sequel also, oh, and, okay. uh, which I read, and I can't remember the name. Okay. Is that The Drawing of the Dark? No, it's um, his... No. Oh, I can't remember, but people can look it up. So he does do series, just not in this particular novel. Yeah, there hasn't been a sequel to this one, right? Okay. And he does do, you know, this historical stuff. is It's kind of his forte. Um, one that jumps to mind is the Anubis Gates. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of a similar, similar origin. And, know, and he did, Explaining he, some historic history with, uh, you know, he, he says he writes supernatural adventure stories. You know, yeah. so he, he's adding yeah. supernatural but, to the. But he's he bases them in our world, not a secondary world, right? Correct, yep. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, yeah, so he, he's a bit different from the majority of writers. He's not different in the majority of writers in that he writes long, it's a long book, very long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was noting this when I was looking, doing my research on, on Kim, which is one of the reasons this book is so long is it's just full of quotations. Um, another reason this book is so long is that its epilogue is novelette length. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> it has an afterward, a forward, uh, uh, one of those things at the front, and I mean, yeah, yeah. it probably has an appendix too um, in, in the paper <laughs> book. Um, it's a long book, but uh, Kim by uh, Kipling is is like about two thirds the length of this. Um, I'm not saying that back then they didn't have long books. I, th- I think they did, but this is a long book, and I don't. It, uh, Fred, you were saying you skimmed the last what third? Fifteen percent. Okay, last fifteen percent. I guess you can get it exactly right. Um, that was my favorite part. Really? Well, yeah, I was. It was sickening. I waited mm-hmm. until last weekend to to get the Kindle version, and uh, uh. I was on travel this week, so I had I was uh, alone for hours in my Memphis hotel room where I could do all this reading, and I still didn't get it done. Wow. <laughs> Shame uh, on you. Yeah, it's tragic. Well, I have read it before, so yeah. I have oh, actually okay. read the entire book, but, you know, it's not fresh in my mind. Uh, Scott, I'm intrigued as to why you think the last part is the best part, because I, I found myself much more entranced by the by all the spy stuff than the... like. Well, I, I, I enjoyed all the spy stuff as well. Um, it's just that the, the end is where all this... Uh, you know, well, the the climax, obviously, right? You know, all this confrontation with the supernatural occurred, and I thought the it was final trip quite, up Mount quite Ararat, well or the same yeah. trip that they keep talking about. Yeah, yeah, huh. the, the the final Ararat trip. I mean, as as they're describing this climb and facing the gin, I was thinking of some of my own trips into uh, 
mountains and into Glacier Gorge and wondering, damn, I would like to really go up a mountain again. I haven't done that in over a year. And it's like um, they're talking about ascending a glacier and tying themselves off. And I haven't done anything that crazy on trying to go up a mountain. It's like that sounds great. Plus the the whole culmination of the whole the final meeting between Philby, the two halves of the same soul. Sorry, spoilers, guys. I know mm-hmm. how you feel about that, Jesse. I'm just, I'm just joking, joking with the audience. It's just like every, everything comes to a head in this, in this final confrontation, and everything in the novel is built up to it. It's like we've, we've been bouncing around the timeline yeah. since the beginning of this novel, because we start off in 63, him being reactivated, and then we jump back to his. No, we actually start life. on error rat. Then we go to the reactivation. Oh, you're right. I forgot about yeah. And then we reactivation. Then we jump back to the 30s and 40s and keep bouncing back and forth till we finally get everything converge into the present into this one trek up up the mountain to confront God. It's like so, how can you how can you say that's not the best part of the novel? Well, <laughs> well, that's not the last part of the novel either. There's the like I said, novelette length af- uh, epilogue. Where he goes to Moscow to uh, kill Philby, I guess. Yeah, there's that too. But um, I see the real climax is the Ararat. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, I, uh, I was thinking about how it was written. Did he do it linearly and then do the, you know, put it in a blender and rearrange the pieces so that it's artistic afterwards? Um, I would guess that he did it uh, not that way. That he didn't write it linearly. Um, but it, it was one of those composition books where, you know, I, I mean, I'm not a novel writer. Paul, uh, Paul, you're not a novel writer, right? I've um, I've, I've written some short stories. Yeah, I've done Scott's NaNoWriMo. Written some that's short about stories. it. Um, but mm-hmm. Fred, you've written, written a full-length novel. Um, 94,000 words, yep. Okay. Wait, how, how long is that compared to this? That's much uh, less, to, right? Well, um like a genre novel should be between between eighty and one hundred. Uh, so anything over a hundred would be. What? <laughs> Where's that number? Uh, is that written? It's written everywhere on the internet. But well, um, okay. these are rules. Okay. Of, no, I'm. I, well, let me finish my sentence, Please. which is to say, uh, anything over a hundred thousand uh, is is would be would feel long to most readers in most genres. Not fantasy, though. They're more tolerant of length in fantasy uh declare it's gotta be probably over 120,000 i yeah. would say yeah I, and I, that's a kind of a wild guess really right mm-hmm. well it's 500 and something pages so it's it's not it's not yeah uh, it's probably 150,000 it's not an 80 page james m kane novel that's for sure mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um and i i think that yeah it is partially for the um I mean, he's he's established himself as a, a writer of of Tim Powers novels, I guess. So, you know, he's giving his audience what they like. It happens to be what he likes. To me, this is not um, novel material, though. Like, it, to me, this is like this is what I do for fun. <laughs> I go on the internet, I read some <laughs> interesting fact, and I say, mm-hmm. "Well, that's fascinating." And then I dive into that. And just read the crap out of that, and then I just have a conversation with somebody that basically tells them the interesting thing, and they tell me what they they know about it, and then and I go back to the internet and find, read some more. You know, um, it's not like a uh, okay. Now I'm going to fill in the missing pieces with with uh, my own 
supernatural theory. On the other hand, there are some things I like about this book quite a bit. Um, uh, uh, he's not Philip K. Dick, obviously. Um, he has different um, bent. Uh, but I, I think he does mention PKD in the, that Locus interview, which I want to get yeah, to. Yeah, well, wasn't he um, a colleague of PKD? I yeah. mean, didn't he know him? Uh, uh, yep, friend? it says. Yeah. He, yep. he's, he appears as a character in one of uh, PKD's novels. What was right. it? Vallas? Is that the yeah. one where his friends show up under, under other names? Yeah. P- uh, Powers is the is the character who's always quoting C.S. Lewis. I want to read this paragraph from that from that interview because, about yeah, Phil K. Dick and because we talk about him so much on the show. Mm-hmm. One of Phil, K- Phil Dick's theories probably was true and God spoke to him, but the trouble was is that he had about 10,000 theories so we'll never know which one it was. In fact, one time when his house was blown up, someone told him, one of your books must have accidentally told the truth about something. How many have you written? More than three? And Phil said, I've written 30. The guy said, then you probably will never know which of your books is it was that really was accidentally told the real story about the world. <laughs> so he really, really did get Philip A. Dick in a real way. Yeah, no, they, uh, but see, I think that the kind of conversations that they had, now, I, I was not there, I did not meet them, but I've, I've read enough about Philip K. Dick and he heard his own interviews. Um, the, the kind of conversations that they had, you know, are exactly what I'm talking about, the material this book comes from, right? So that mm. uh, Phil Kiddick reads some... Uh, so, for example, we did a show on, um, uh, I don't know, some PKD novel not that long ago, and uh, there was the reverend who who married... He was a... Was it, he wasn't... He can't have been Catholic. He was a bishop, remember? Paul, you know what I'm talking about? There's this this American bishop who he's really good friends with and who sort of was on a spiritual quest of his own. And he went to Israel and died uh, basically climbing a mountain or something. Um, and his his wife at the time um, decided to walk back while he's, he... No, she stayed with the car and he decided to walk back and they found him on his knees, you know, you know dead in the desert. Um, and... That was Philip K. Dick's good spiritual advisor. <laughs> um, yeah. um, and at the time, that sort of period, Tim Powers is having conversations with Philip K. Dick about exactly this sort of, you know, Gnostic almost um, theories of to what's really going on, what's really behind the veil of, mm-hmm. you know, the real politic, not what the people are saying. Uh, in the newspapers, but what's really behind their motivations. And again, the, that paranoid squint. Um, Philip K. Dick cannot continue past the book, right? He, he has to completely rewrite it. I mean, it almost feels like he can't even get through a book a lot of times without completely undermining everything. Whereas with this well, one, it's all in support. It's kind of an inversion, right? So he, well, Gnostic, by the way, is the precise term because yeah, yeah. in the in the occult, you do have that uh, th- the things, the reality behind the veil, which is the true reality. So there is a sense of mystery in the occult, but Gnosticism takes it a step further and says, and that veil is there because some evil power has blinded us to the truth, and and this entire world is a 
is a, basically a conspiracy against us. We, right. We've been placed in this false, lying reality, and we need and we need to defeat this evil power that has us enslaved and escape into the into the truth. So you're not a Bishop Barclay guy. I report you decide. I'm not, I, okay. I'm not a Gnostic, of course. But, uh, well, you're, yeah, you're I, a Gnostic leaner, I think. Uh, I'm fascinated. <laughs> there you uh, go. You're dipping uh, in there and looking around. I, I am allowed to take int- – look, uh, you are hardly the only person in my life who gets nervous when I start talking about weird religions. But uh, <laughs> I reserve the right to take an interest in – and learn about uh, all kinds of beliefs that I have utter, utterly no temptation to embrace. Let's yeah, put it that way. To me. What were you going to say, Scott? <laughs> oh, I was going to say I, I've I've had uh, some conversations with a a fellow who believes that um, all the dinosaurs' bones that have been placed here are there as a distraction. Just to, to back up what Fred's saying, it's it's like oh, a conspiracy. So that's not that's not yeah. really. I don't think that's exactly gnostic as it is ignorant. No, well, because it, look, it's, 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 mean, it's the idea the idea that the whole world is a conspiracy, putting up a veil so to prevent us from seeing what's real. That yeah. is. Uh, that that was a similarity. There. I, mean, I don't know that the guy would call himself a agnostic. I doubt he. <laughs> I doubt he would call yeah. himself. I mean, they have they have uh, what theme parks for that. I mean, I don't think <laughs> there are a lot of gnostic theme parks. Um, <laughs> there ought to be. Israel, Why not? go to Israel. Walk through the desert. There, there's your theme park. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, Paul, you're not a gnostic leaner, are you? No, I'm. 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 I'm unfortunately resolutely materialist the world is what we see it is and it'd be nice it's 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 almost like that like i know the real truth behind the world yeah. but no the world is i mean the physical world is a lot more mundane than people want to wanted to believe now i believe there's all sorts of things happening in political and social spheres that we don't see but as far as is is, is there a demi urge that's uh, keeping us all blind no uh, yeah, not, yeah. It, it, it'd be nice to think that way. It'd be nice that this sometimes rather mundane world isn't the real thing. But, and I've I've even played role playing games and seen role playing games where that's the whole idea. Was I like, yeah, this is this is a fake world, or, or even like Rogers Leslie Am- Amber, where Earth is just a shadow of the real world. Right. Like, no, yeah. I, I like I like to role play and think about that in a it's not real sort of thing. It's a nice mental exercise, but it's not something I actually truly believe. I don't think I, I could get on a road and drive to uh, the courts of chaos, which is Mm -hmm. the real world. Nope. Yeah. It's really interesting to hear Tim powers talk about this stuff. And I've had that opportunity. Um, got to meet him at a convention one time. Nice. Um, but when he, when he talks about, uh, fantasy literature, um, Gosh, that's fun. <laughs> but one of the things that he says is, uh, um, you know, and obviously I'm going to be paraphrasing here, so I hope I'm, I'm doing him justice. But but things like, you know, when you w- watch a horror movie, but you, you you could meet a materialist, and I have no idea, Paul, if you're like this or not, that uh, says, you know, uh, boy, I don't really like to, to watch that type of horror movie because, man, that's really spooky stuff. It's like, well, why is it spooky? You know, because you know, you you clearly don't believe in that stuff, right? So, but why is it spooky? But but there is just something, you know, like when you say something like, um, when you pick this flower, 
Um, I've heard him say something like this. When you pick this flower, uh, the princess in the kingdom next door will die. And there's just something about that sentence that kind of stirs something up that mm-hmm. we have common as humans. You know, that there's just something inside there that, that uh, you know, that is uh, activated, you know. Um, and he's he just saying, no, I think C.S. Lewis said something like, um, you know, be, being hungry doesn't mean that there that we have bread, but it does. It is a strong indicator that there is such a thing as bread. Ooh, speaking and of bread, let's let's talk about the bread in this in this book. The that, bread in the book. Do you remember <laughs> he has? It, it actually comes up multiple times where he's sitting in that desert with the with the guy who's half turned to stone, and he's eat, He's miming eating the bread. He's miming yeah, eating bread that tastes like what dust. And yeah, then, the bread, bread. Yeah, mm-hmm. it tastes. It's invisible, and he, so he thinks he's miming. But later, he gets the aftertaste of extremely right. stale old bread. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. but also um, he fails to eat or chooses not to eat the meat, and the meat uh, would taste like something else, right? And even well, like that would mime be even sort more of, disgusting. Yeah, um, and then so this is like a, this is an alternate way to go, right? So it, it the thing about the the scariness of this world to me is that uh-huh. it's, it's almost a totalitarian. Um, uh, how how does how does any character escape, right? So I guess we start off feeling um, kind of like Kim Philby's an asshole, right? Um, and then I got a lot more sympathy for him later on. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know how anybody can escape from the totalitarian sort of reality that's behind the veil of this world. It's, it's, what, what, what they do, they, they, they do can navigate in a sense. It, but can they escape? Uh, the, the, the escape is that, is that climactic scene when he shoots the, when he shoots the creature on Ararat. That's. Where, where he basically kills God. That is well. The, he he's not killing God there. He's killing an angel. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's he's not confronting God. He's no. confronting angels. Uh, well, and, and yeah, he doesn't I, kill I, them I, all, right? No, but he, but he definitely uh, strikes against the higher powers that have been around since biblical yeah. times. He's, right. Yes. He's, so uh-huh. so it's it's so it's an act. It's an act of trying to es- break the wheel and break the cycle. Not not give into the whole. To the weird yeah. quasi immortality, or submit to uh, to an angel one way or the other. I mean, look at look what the Russians are doing, basically feeding one of these things human sacrifices to protect the country, and yes, he, he has to uh, deal with that as well. But I mean, actually facing a higher power and destroying uh, that is very gnostic, as we were talking before. Like he's basically striking up against a bull for mankind as well as for himself. It's 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 it's, I mean you can go into the whole, I mean it's it's as if as if Cain instead of killing Abel tried to strike Adam and God himself, mm-hmm. really. There there is an interpretation which says that, uh, it, that uh, it, the atheists in the story believe that the uh, fallen angels of Ararat are the source sources of all our biblical uh, mm-hmm. theology. And yeah. so in this in the sense you are killing the source of of the ideas about God 
and that it's possible that you can interpret Hale's handlers back in England as that's their true agenda is is not killing God but killing the idea of God by destroying these powers. And it's not just that they want to keep these powers away from the Soviet Union and prevent the Soviet Union from manipulating them, but they actually want to overthrow the whole, I guess you would say, monotheistic uh, paradigm. I've read this. I don't. I, I, I don't have any opinion on whether you can interpret if that's a stretch or not to interpret the the novel that way. Well, you you know, I'm just if you think you know personally with um, Andrew Hale, I mean, he was pretty clear on what he was doing. Right. Um, so maybe, you know, because there is kind of a two layer thing going on here. We have countries and we have people. Right? right. So the countries are trying to utilize these powers that are beyond understanding in their favor. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the, the personal people are trying to achieve immortality. Um, basically, I can't remember how many of them talked about this, but it was like to escape judgment. Yes, to escape the right, judgment right. of God. Like yeah, so, the so there was the this personal motivation and a country motivation. Yeah. Right. So if you're looking at it from the countries, you know, I can I can see that interpretation. But, but I remember Hale saying something like, you know, these things have seen the face of God down, you know, near the end there at Ararat, you know. So he knew that they weren't God, that he was right um, after here, but... So I, you know, it's very Lovecraftian, right? It, yeah, it's like a, a, a intense power that um, makes you feel small when you stand next to it, and and helpless. And because, and, and also just very alien in its mindset and its morality. Right, right, and not quite understandable. There's a few right. a yep. few connections I wanna I wanna bring bring in here. One is um, there's a story by Philip K. Dick that. Uh, it's profoundly interesting to me. I I've done a show on it on the podcast. Um, it's it's uh, recreated somewhat in on Stranger Tides, um, and it's taken in part from the Odyssey. Um, it's called Upon the Dull Earth. It's a story about a guy who oh, yeah. I keep talking about this one because it, it's it's profoundly interesting to me. Um, and it, it sort of ties in. It's about a guy who wants to get his girlfriend back who has basically uh, brought down something like an angel. Um, and they their angels are bloodthirsty. They want blood. Um, mm-hmm. And they she sets out a pool of blood for them, but they get carried away and they drain her. And then she's taken up. And so he wants to get her back. And if he can get a form uh, for her to go into... Um, and he and he, get, he works it out just right with the pipes and and the barrels of blood and all that stuff. Um, he he might be able to get her back. And he does this sort of in the backyard of his of his wife's or Oregon Woods family's home. And it's like it's it's a really beautiful, interesting story, and it ends in a horror. Um, Tim Powers does the same thing. It's taken it's taken from uh, part of the Odyssey where uh, Odysseus talks with. Uh, the the dead and he he digs a ditch on a beach mm. pours in a lamb's blood and and then yeah and i remember that scene in yep. on stranger tides yeah it's yeah. really powerful right um mm. so one of the things that 
there's a lot of powerful imagery here. One of the one of the ones that was really striking, especially early on, I didn't know anything about this book other than you know it was a Tim Powers book, so mm-hmm. I didn't know what the mystery was, you know, ultimately about or anything. I, it was it was very interesting in that respect. So when he he starts he's doing the telegraphy wireless telegraphy, um, and all the uh, the coils of burned uh, I don't know ash. Um, when his the circles, yeah, the system overloads, right? I'm like, oh, that's interesting, um, and I was totally in there. Um, and then when we get into the explanation, sort of about the gin and how they uh, operate, and he has all sorts of interesting sort of explanations as to how he he set up their system. Uh, that is powers. We we get an explanation sort of in the text. Um, and one of the things he said is they that they. They pick up what's around them and use that and make that their form. So if they're in the desert, it's it's uh, what do you call that? Uh, uh, sand and you know if it's in the air, it'll use water droplets or whatever it is, right? And it's very cool. And then one of the lines about what they would use is a, if it's in the city, it'll use cr- a crowd, right? And then that reminds me of, as you say, Lovecraftian. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft has uh, Abdul Al-Hazred, the author of the Necronomicon, basically a Gnostic version of, uh, you know, reality in a certain sense, uh, s- a secret uh, history, um, being torn apart in a in a uh, Muslim street, um, visibly in front of other people, uh, in the bright daylight, right? And it's like, well, that's an that's an that's a curious end. But it also makes me think, oh, it's a subverted reading, right? There's this guy who, he's a witch, essentially. <laughs> he's a non-believer, and the, ta- and the crowd tears him apart. And they don't know that they've done that because they've been taken up by the jinn. It's, it's very cool what he's doing, uh, sort of reading in, re- I mean, that's, there's no Abdul Al-Hazred mentioned in this, but it's the same feeling. In addition... Um, going back to PKD, um, mm-hmm. one thing that's sort of, I thought, almost randomly in here, but now I'm thinking it's not, is all the doubling that's going on be- beyond the, uh, you know, double agents, mm-hmm. right? Philby has yep. a secret uh, ability to uh, be in two places at the same time, have a literal double of himself, and then... Um, on Mount as did, Ararat, as did their father. Right. And then on Mount Ararat, right, there's the Ark, and then there's the Dark Ark, in a certain sense, right? Mm-hmm. The one that's towed behind and managed to get latched onto, and that's the one they're actually seeing. And if you think about how this works in Philip K. Dick novels, one of my favorites, again, is... Um, uh, it's called uh, Galactic Pot Healer, in which there's mm-hmm. Glim- the Glimung, uh, who's a god, essentially, right? And then there's the Dark Glimung, the the one that is the sort of the trying to destroy instead of trying to rebuild. And in that novel also, uh, the character, the main character, uh, Joe Fernwright, dives into this dark sea to try and get a handle on how to raise this cathedral. Um, right. And there's a... a evil cathedral under there as well and he finds his own self under the water a dead version of himself who's 
got the saddest story ever, right? I, I sleep in this little box to try and prevent the fish from eating me. And it's like, that's really <laughs> powerful stuff, really powerful imagery. Um, and it's all in here in a certain sense. So it, it, he's got really interesting stuff going on. I like this book a lot in, in many respects. It's just really long. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, because he's, because he's really recapitulating Philby's life through through his brother Andrew Hale, so it's gotta it's gotta go along. We gotta get Hale to the point where he can we can have him climb that mountain. So we have to start basically at the beginning, which is why this book is long. It's yes, it's it's, it's a it's a effort to get through, but it's worthwhile. I mean, and this is just so much in here. I mean, there's. There's what what was life like for a Soviet agent in 1941 mm. Paris? We get that. What 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 are the Cold War games in the release and how how does that play out? We get that. We get all sorts of bits and pieces of what the spy world is like. This and this novel has been so inspirational to a lot of occult spy novels ever since. Charles Strauss's The Laundry Files and Mike Martinez and J12 novels. I mean, I mean, they've all taken from this text because this text is just, it has everything that you could possibly want. If you want to do a Colton spies, this is a novel you must read first before you write your own. Uh, there, there seems to be something missing though. And that what, what I'm, I'm sensing is missing is like, I had a subverted idea so that I'm trying to, I'm trying not to let come out because I want to see if powers does it, you know, I'm not going to think mm-hmm. about this. See if Powers doesn't, and I just, you know, I I finished ten minutes before we started this conversation. Okay. So it's not there, and that is, I thought that maybe one of the hails we're seeing, or you know, how the novel jumps around, one of the hails we're seeing is a different one than the other hail. Well, we do get a scene with that, though. Do we? Uh we get, we get a scene where he's seeing, basically, seeing himself getting sure beaten up by the police. Sure, but. And and we yeah we we get but that that also is a yeah I guess it's there. I just thought it was it, I thought it was like we're gonna get a revelation that all all this jumping around is because there's more than one hail doing more than one thing the whole thing and I uh, maybe that's in there and I'm not seeing it because it's so subtle but it's not it's not like um, that would be it. a bridge too far if yeah, you this, ask me <laughs> I mean this novel is already complicated enough. it would have made it longer i agree it would have made it, it made it longer and it would have diluted from the whole hail being a version of philby that we're going forward that'd be taking the twinning thing a little extra step beyond beyond having basically hills and philby's parallel careers then 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 this novel would be an unreadable mess it would but, be but interesting philby, as yeah as an as a intellectual concept that you have basically have two hails running around but it wouldn't be very readable in practice yeah it might, it might make good for a, a good tv reimagining because in a like a tv series format that would work really well but as far as a novel that's a little bit too much frosting on this cake could you do a uh, tv series adaptation and that wouldn't be 400 episodes long. Could, I would do I would it? do a movie and I would have Del Toro direct it. <laughs> no, not a movie. Well, maybe, no, but I think I, you got to it's got to be a Netflix series with about 12 episodes. Yeah, yeah that would I be think cool. you could do it. 
I mean, I mean, like a lot of the sandbaggers, except you have a you have a cult stuff. Yeah. But would anyone wa- besides the four of us? Would anyone watch it? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I was reading the um, Publishers Weekly review, uh-huh. which is not really a, a a review in the sense of should you read this book, but but it's a, a an industry review. Right. You know, should you stock your shelves with this book? And they were kind of. They said, "Well, this is." It's pretty complicated, and it is a genre bender, uh, which those always suffer, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I've I've seen people complain that when this was was uh, in bookstores, you would find it like in the spy novel section. Yeah. Which you know, to me, the audience for this is really number one would be the science fiction mm. people, even though it is not really that's that's like yeah. about number yeah. five on the list of what it really is. But those people are interested. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. uh, and they were basically saying this book is not going to take off, that the the audience for this book is pretty small. And unfortunately, I think that I, I, I really love I, this kind of stuff. It's like, um, you know, I, I mentioned Del Toro, but things like Hellboy sort of feel like they're the same mm-hmm. genre, mm-hmm. right? You know, and yep. Declare and, um, you know, his other one, the Anubis Gates. And, so and the one you wrote, the one you wrote one. Fred, um, what is it? The Devil's Dictum? That's your novel? Yeah, that it's is almost alternate like history, it, yes. the same yeah. subgenre. Um, it's not secret history, by the way. It's not rigorous. It's in many ways very different, but it, I did write an alternate history novel. Yep, Devil's Dictum. On sale now. 99 cents Amazon. <laughs> very good, very good. I, I plug it. Are we going to get an yeah, audio book of that? But, but, I, but I really like that stuff, yeah. Uh, you know, someday when I, I just started a new job, I'm trying to plot a new novel. I've got, I'm up to my, I, I wanted to start a new, po- uh, my own podcast this fall, and that's going to be delayed by a year. Wow. Or more. So, uh, no, I'm up to my eyeballs. I can't narrate that. Yeah. Um, I, uh, you, you would, you would offer to do, um, C.S. Lewis's Till We Have Faces if I was willing to record it. And that's the narration I'd rather do. But that's a different yeah. topic. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm, I, well, I think C.S. Lewis is, he, he's sort of in this genre too. Um, yeah. a little bit, at least. There's those English thinkers, you know. Um, this actually felt very English. I guess the narrator. Yeah. Um, but I think you can you can really, it's almost really good writing, and this has some amazingly good writing. It's super clear, which well, I think is very important. I can't believe how much Tim Powers knows about stuff. You know, as a writer, yeah. you know, just one example where he he's in Paris. They get a new radio, so he opens it up to see. And then he starts talking about, oh, it's not a crystal. It's got rheostats or something. Right. And there's no doubt in my mind, but Tim Powers. Oh, yeah. Every, every careful single. To yep. know what kind of radios would be available. So it's not, he doesn't just describe what's in that particular radio, but he knows the possibilities and says, oh, good, this is better than the other choice, which would have been the more likely option. You know, it's and, almost, it almost hurts the novel because I, I can see the research often. Right. Like, and, 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 I agree. and the thing is, is he isn't killing his darlings quite enough because right. so much of it is, is a little bit padded out with him saying, oh, this is so interesting. And in the conversation <laughs> where you're sitting yeah. around talking about the cool facts you discovered, like when I... Or, when I or another her. example, 
Another example is where yeah. how the Bedouins sit on the saddle, camel saddles versus yeah. how the Westerners sure. do. And sure. Westerners make a mistake, which results in uh, soreness in the thighs over right. a period of hours. That kind of thing, just it's just unbelievable. Like, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what also distracts me as I'm reading it. Yeah. It. it I think in a novel, it's okay to have one character who's read really widely, and uh-huh. quotes, you know, a whole bunch of obscure uh, uh, literary sources. But when you got three or four people who do that, which happens in this novel, that it's just okay, Tim. That's you. Yeah. That's not your character talking right now. Yeah. That's you. And it's a little distracting. It's a little unfortunate. Yeah. But they are oh. really cool quotes that he comes up with. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it feels, it it literally feels like, you know, when I found out of who Otto Skorzeny was and I'm starting to read, like, holy shit, this guy was everywhere. He's doing everything. I can't mm-hmm. but tell anybody who has any interest in anything that's semi-interesting all about this dude who's basically operating all over Europe and inspiring all these, you know, World War II 1970s movies without them actually saying, hey, this is not a Scorzeni, you know, sort of situation here. Um, the, the fact that he found so, so much interest in Kim Philby almost overwhelms the book because he has a story that he's trying to say, but it, it, it's, it does feel long because of all the little, you know, going down into yeah. that little thing. Uh, I'm not sure you can really criticize him other than to say, well, it's a Tim Powers thing, right? What are you going to do? Because no one else is really um, doing this exact thing, yeah. right? And this this rule that uh, Tim Powers says, I will not violate any known historical fact. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Uh, well, but the, his book's... The only people who really care or even know that he's following that rule are himself and a few people who are deep experts in I the thought stuff he had made that he's... Mistake. I thought he had made a mistake. I, uh, well, he has the but... NSA mentioned in here. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that... No, I'm wrong. NSA was around. I, I was thinking exactly <laughs> about... You know how much... like I, I, I'd watched it. There was a show called Da Vinci's Demons that came on. And about t- four or five minutes into the show, I'm like, this is a piece of shit. And the reason it's a piece of shit is they've got, uh, in a new world, parrots in the streets of Da Vinci's hometown. And, like, they don't have them then. That's just bullshit, right? Complete. What? They have what? They, they had new world parrots, you know, like Amazon. Oh, uh, parrots. Amazon okay, right. birds, right? Right. And, and they don't have those. If you want to have a colorful bird, you're going to be stuck with an African gray, which is pretty boring. It's got a red tail. That's it. It's a parrot, hmm. but it, you know... I, I'm saying this is bullshit, right? So I, I dismissed the whole thing because <laughs> of that tiny little detail. Now, I think that the reason this book holds up as well as it does is because he has some goddamn rules that he's following, and he's following yeah. them incredibly carefully. Well, um, it's a two-edged sword then, because at times you... I agree. Like, I don't know anything about radios in Paris in 1941. I agree. But, but I, I am utterly convinced that he did the research totally. and that because it's so detailed and precise. But at other times, the novel sort of lurches to a halt where he feels like he has to explain something or just, I see, I, yes. I really did do the research. You're thinking this is wrong. And let me explain to you for a moment how this all 
works out. So what I'm describing is actually historically consistent. Right. Uh, so it, at times it does get yeah, in the way. Yeah, there's some info and, dumps that happen that yeah, we don't yeah. need. Oh, but let me let me talk about that info dump right at the beginning where uh, he's with the with Hale is taken to see the Prime Minister Macmillan, mm-hmm. and they're in the the secret room at number 10 Downing Street, you remember. And mm-hmm. and uh, it's in the hands of any other author, that would just be this big info dump where Theodora is giving Hale and, of course, the reader a bunch of uh, background information. But then uh, there's that business where Theodora quietly opens up the little kit that has the screwdriver and the micro, tiny microphone and he's gesturing to Hale, meaning install this bug somewhere in this room while I talk to you. <laughs> and to me, that was utterly brilliant because yeah. it, it's not necessarily the plot. Uh, but but uh, Tim Powers, uh, you know, uh, gives you an insight into Theodore's character yeah. where he's he's completely willing to spy on his own prime minister. Okay. So he's like this. You know, free agent. I'm, a, you know, I'm a su- such a secret super spy that I'm accountable to no one. He's deep state, but but also it creates an enormous amount of tension. And Hale has to, you know, he's crawling under the table to stick the bug down there, and then he gets up silently, uh, assuming that they are being listened to, and you know, so that he can speak and his voice won't be muffled and coming from underneath the table, so he won't give away the fact that he's installing the bug. And it cre- it takes this scene of boring info dump stuff and turns it into this tension-filled and also hilarious uh, scene. So he's got all these angles going on, plus the the insight into the character that we get. Uh, it's he turns it into this multi-layered scene, and there are not many authors who are thinking that hard and that carefully and making the most of their material. I'm utterly blown. That scene alone, I would say, is is worth uh, the cost of admission. And uh, b- other people who want to 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 t- to uh, you know go through a writing workshop, other authors who want to learn that scene ha- happens pretty early in the book, so you can pick it up and read it just for that scene uh it's an absolute tour, tour de force and i uh i bow before the greatness of tim powers yeah. in that scene i lo- i love how when when writers do the critiquing they they <laughs> they do a different kind of critiquing you know yeah. it's like they appreciate things that other people don't appreciate i don't even remember that scene as particularly uh, powerful other than it was well, it was a good scene Okay, right, but you're, you you're know, saying it's why not, it's working, and I agree. Yeah, I agree yeah. It, are, he took something that should have been crap and right. turned it into something And there are later scenes that are uh, less well done um, with the info dumping. That's um, true. And not not that I'm a, against info dumping. I think they're incredibly good. I think the problem is, is, is it's a bit too neat in the info dumping. So we get the goods on what's actually going on at certain points. And that feels like there's not enough room for me to feel like there there are not enough answers so what what powers is really doing right is he's he's saying okay here are the facts here are my suspicions now i'm going to make all those facts fit in 
somehow with the suspicions I have and, and or the other way around. The suspicions have to fit the facts. So what would lead this to that? Um, and in doing so, that is, ends up being a novel rather than like, well, here's some... It's, it's, it's basically conspiracy, not theory, but conspiracy thinking, um, but with with uh, without undermining constantly. He does the opposite of what Philip K. Dick does, right? Where he, Philip K. Dick sets up a premise, and then he starts undermining it, undermining it, undermining it, until you're left not knowing, so, okay, well, don't know where we stand. Yep, things are not what, what uh, I thought a minute ago. Um, here we start off with a mystery and everything becomes explained. Um, and it feels, it feels different in that respect. And I, I kind of wanted a little bit of room for mystery as to what, what's actually going on. I guess God doesn't actually show up in the, in the whole book for, for a long time early on in the novel, I thought he was Jesus, sort of a rebirth of Jesus. He is uh, Hale, or yeah, Hale. You, do you understand he's why? He's blonde, though. He's blonde. He could. Well, <laughs> yeah, I got, he is blonde. But what is he, that? That Stillman head what? of Christ? That that picture that's been duplicated billions of times with Jesus with the blue eyes, literally blue eyes, and the kind of the auburn locks cascading down to his shoulders. That that is not. What Jesus really looked like. I hope you all understand I, that. I wasn't going by his looks, but more by like his, his mysterious <laughs> yeah. father, right? Oh yeah, yeah, mysterious yeah. Mysterious father getting getting, <laughs> getting baptized in the Jordan River, right? Yeah. Just live, live, living with his mother without any real indication himself. of that. Yeah. Well, they try at one point. He tries yeah. to get you to believe that uh, Hale is actually the he, meaning Tim Powers. Someone compares Hale to uh, T. S. No, T.E. Lawrence. Lawrence. Yeah, T.E. Lawrence. T.E. Lawrence, yeah. And, uh, so that was my working theory for a long time. Lawrence yep. haunts this book as a ghost. Right. And, and, and it's like, again, we, we know that Lawrence died in the real world in the motorcycle accident. And this book explains, oh, what the super, real supernatural history of that was. Again, we don't contradict known facts. We get an illumination of what we already know. It's like, oh, yeah, it was all part of all, all these gin and the operation declare and T.E. Lawrence was off the reservation. So he had to be killed. It's that's, <laughs> that's the way these, this sort of secret history sort of like explain what really is going on. That's again, going yeah. back to that whole Gnostic philosophy, like here's the real truth. And we're going to tell it to you, which I think goes against your point, Jesse, you wanted yeah. a little more mystery and ambiguity, but the point makes, of makes uh, the Soviets uh, seem a little more competent than I think they actually were. You know, like <laughs> like what what are these purges for? Oh, well, there's a secret history there, right? Yeah, well, exactly. I think this is um, this is what this is the, a Tim Powers novel is about wrapping up, tying up all yes. the threads. Yes. So uh, you do lose you you do lose something to gain that, and that is a trade off. Yeah. I, I mean, consider Last Call, where we find out what really was going on with the mobsters in Las Vegas in the 50s. It was a, it was a occult power play with Bugsy Seagal. That's yeah. why he built his casino the way he did. This is Tim Powers doing Tim Powers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thoughts, Scott? You've been quiet no, for I've a while. Got a, I've got to read uh, Last Call. That's on my list, but I haven't read it yet. 
it, card card games are something that Tim Powers likes to have in his novels. Yeah, and I, I remember like, yep. cards showed up in this one, right? Yep, exactly. I was thinking, oh, here's 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 the last call motif, and you and then last call they're playing for stakes a lot more than just money, and here we're playing for immortality and the the life and soul of a woman. So it's like, yeah, yeah he, he likes to have those high stakes games. Sadly, I think I think power a lot of that is. Uh, not that I've read Last Call, but a lot of I can feel it in his work. Like when he does real life research, it has to pay off in a book. <laughs> so any money he no, lost no, in gambling, I, I don't think, I don't think any money right. well, he lost in gambling yeah. has to show up, right? Uh, all that, all those years <laughs> I spent playing poker, which I mean, I played poker. I understand uh, how it works. A lot, there, a lot of people. I think he finds something that interests him, and he does a deep dive and writes absolutely. A novel. But that's exactly what he says he does. You know, yeah, I think ex- that's what exactly. Yeah. I, I got yeah. a, I got a couple quotes from that uh, locust thing that I want to read here. That are good. Cool. As for my own books, I'm now finding order where previously you might not have seen it, and calling the most recent three a trilogy of sorts. Last time we did an interview, I seem to be saying I had no interest. Like, he's commenting on what he's. He thought he was saying, yeah. I seem to be saying I had no interest in sequels. <laughs> but I don't think there's actually an inconsistency here. Just an apparent inconsistency. That sounds like Tim Powers. Like, That's just, so Tim Powers. Right? <laughs> really, with earthquake weather, I wasn't simply trotting out old bicycles and lawnmowers that I had just previously put away in expiration date. And a lot of characters I was using were either totally fresh or from last call. And the last call characters I hadn't been playing with for four or five years. So they had been out of sight long enough under a tarp in the backyard. <laughs> when, when was this interview given? Uh, it's Well, it's right before Declare, so about two. Oh, right before Declare. Yeah. Okay, because so I'm just looking at his novels. So the last three novels that he's talking about then are Last Call, Expiration Date, and Earthquake Weather, yeah. which I've seen kind of collected uh, or called a trilogy. Yeah, the and then lines. came Declare, and then he wrote one called Three Days to Never, and then Hide Me Among the Graves. Right. And that's which all he's that, written. Yeah, that. which is that sequel to Stress of a Regard that that's, Fred was That's it. Out. Yes, yeah. you're right. Hey, guys. And, and can, he's also written Mazusa's Web. That? That's his newest one. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Well, yeah, Mazusa. Fred? Go ahead, Fred. Yeah. Um, did, did you know that I interviewed Tim Powers one time? No. I no. did not. So uh, Dave Robison was the uh, host of. The oh, Protecting I did Project know that, Pulp, I guess. yeah, yeah, Protecting Project Pulp podcast, and I was the editor, and the two of us uh, got permission to run a story by him, a sort of neo pulp story called "The Way Down the Hill," which is really wonderful. You can uh, those uh, episodes are still in, uh, still available online. I noticed just last night the Starship Sofa website still has them, so episode fourteen. Uh, has our interview. He talks a little bit more about uh, Philip K. Dick trying to uh, disabuse people of the notion that PKD was merely a drug-addled mystic who heard uh, voices in his head, although those those things are true. The drugs, just addled in general. Well, no, but but giving some insight into his personality and his relationships, but... um, and he talks a little bit about the paranoid squint uh, with which he approaches all his, you know, historical reading. So you can go look that up. Uh, I want, I want up. you. I want to talk to you about getting those files online somewhere, all of them, instead of just some of them. But we'll, we'll do uh, that after files. Oh, what do you mean? 
your show. What files? Your show. No, I think it says all available. I, it, I, haven't, had, went I haven't found that to be the case, but let's it, talk about went that away. After. It went away. The Protecting Project Pulp website went away, but it's now, I, I Googled that episode and it popped up on the Starship Sofa all right. website, which is the, the mothership, the, the main podcast of that series. That's right. Tony right. C. Smith, we salute you. He's the host of that show. I go didn't ahead. finish my uh, my quote. It was just about to go into earthquake. Earthquake weather. In earthquake oh, weather, sorry. I was able to really use the California coast and San Francisco and the Bay Area and wine country. The San Francisco area roughly includes Winchester Mystery House, which has always been a kind of demanded, uh, which is always kind of demanded attention. I love the way he <laughs> he phrases things so that he thinks that this needs to have a novel written about it. <laughs> and then he goes in, switches into um, talking about his new book, Declare. Uh, I read an introduction by Le Carre. Is this the one you already read? No, you didn't read this, nope. John. I mean, I read you mentioned Le Carre. Go ahead. By Le Carre to a book about Kim Philby. I hadn't really known anything about Philby. I hadn't even known that he was head of British Secret Service in the 1950s and had secretly been a Soviet undercover spy and virtually destroyed the British Secret Service when he was finally cast off his disguise and ran to Moscow. I decided to write a book about Philby. It'll be fun writing a book set in the 1950s and 60s. Fun messing with Moscow and the Middle East as well. This Le Carre introduction talked about Philby's father, who was kind of a Lawrence of Arabia figure in the Middle East in the teens and the 20s. And he was the first Westerner to cross the empty quarter of Arabia. Philby's father was not only a kind of melodramatic character, he was also a sketchily recorded character. There are lots of there are a lot of aspects of the elder Philby that are just unknown. People say he, quote, appeared to have some business venture, and it quote appeared he had a private army. <laughs> he may have had several wives and several children. It's not it's really not a stretch at all to connect Kim Philby with any kind of colorful aspects of the Middle East I want to play with. And I thought, that's fun. Let's look at Kim Philby, not just from the kind of gritty Moscow and London pr type perspective of espionage fiction, but from the Lawrence of Arabia, Cairo, Pith Helmets, Colonies, Kipling, 1001 Nights perspective. And wouldn't that be an interesting mix? <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I really love to hear him talk about that stuff. It's he's he's really fun to hear and listen to. Yeah, he's it's he's a very self-conscious writer, and I think that that really makes for good writing. You know, sort of knowing how something seems, how excited he is about it, uh, rather than like he doesn't have a plan, right? The plan forms itself out of the materials that he he discovers. Right. And I think that that really works. I, I've read so many bad books where the person says, my idea is to mix X with X. And then they force it together, right? Push hard. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's what you did, all right. And and then when you sort of read the the book, the pages sort of like push away from themselves and fall apart. <laughs> in a metaphorical sense. Um, sentences and the characters don't want to be in that book together <laughs> with each other. Um, this is very, very organically developed, I think, and it, 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 it makes for really good reading. I just found, like, I'm like, okay, there's 
there's 14 hours left, and I just had a really good book so far. <laughs> 14 hours left. <laughs> 14 hours left. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was 17 well, discs, which is uh, it's got to be 20 hours, right? I, I mean, uh, we do. Yeah, I think it was like 22 hours or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we do have three books here. If you untangle them, we have we have Hale's coming of age story, growing up and meeting meeting his quote unquote uncle and mm-hmm. getting initiated into this into the whole British Secret Service. We have the whole setting of 1940s, the 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 on again, off again weird romance slash let's be spies for the Soviet Union in that Paris. That's the best part of the book for me. It, 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 it was a real meat and potatoes of the book. It, it really it really I I learned more about radio telegraphy and espionage than I ever thought I ever needed to know, but in a good way. It's like, because I've read other occult spy novels since, and now I can see well, where they, now having read this, I can really see how they stole from that and borrow from that, having to refresh, like, oh, this is, now I get it, because I'd read this back in like, oh, three, and before there was a lot of other novels of this type I had read, so I didn't make the connections, so now I could see in retrospect, and then you have, of course, the whole Middle East in, in the the abort of 48 and then the quote-unquote successful 63, plus, of course, the novel afterwards. So you got three books and change all in one here. Yeah, yep. And, you know, that era, like the typical scene where I'm starting to go, okay, Mr. Tim Powers, I, you did your research. I got it. But it, that part <laughs> that's not so interesting was when they started arguing about who's, who Ararat belonging, belonged to. He said, well, it's on our flag. Why is it on your flag? Well, you know, it's important. It doesn't have to belong to just the country that it's in. It's like, dudes. <laughs> <laughs> <You know>? Like, <laughs> mm. um, hey, Ararat guys, based- loomed over the whole, of the whole of the novel, right? Just in this way that uh, the ghost of T.E. Lawrence was there. And I, 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 I like the way that it was constructed, but yeah. Yeah, based on the uh, knowledge now that it was 22 hours, um, I'm estimating more like 180, almost 180,000 words. So it's getting to be double what a normal genre novel would be. Hmm. Yep, that is that means it's long. It's definitely it is long. Yeah. <laughs> well, but so worthwhile. I mean, as you pointed out, Fred, this is this novel is essential for a lot of writers to really hone their craft by seeing what yeah. powers did that not only not only espionage occult occult writers though that but any kind of science fiction writer wants to see how to construct narratives that don't that don't line up in time exactly how to how, how to create characters that have friction and stickiness both at the same time how to how to unravel a myst- a, myst- a mystery that the characters know, but the audience doesn't. I mean, this novel. I mean, I mean, early on, we. I mean, Hale knows what's going on. We don't. There's a couple of dropped hints, like what magic, and he's going like, "Huh, what does that mean?" And then we uh, yeah. get we get the novel to unpeel what the characters already know because we've jumped around in time, and so the reader knows. I mean, you have novels where the reader knows more than the characters. Here, the characters know more than the reader, and that's a really difficult trick to handle effectively and powers does it mm-hmm. yeah and uh, no question uh you couldn't make this novel much shorter without 
just altering its character. For for the novel that Tim Powers intended to write, it basically had to be this long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no fat to cut. Or well, very little. You, there are. There, uh, are, there is. Uh, okay. Uh, here and it, there, it's some not of the bulky descriptions. Fat. It's it's sort of little bits that is like that scene Kobe you, beef. you didn't need that scene you wanted that scene you, um, the you know. fat is so perfectly marbled in it's like Kobe <laughs> beef. you know what I think a lot of people totally agree with you right and it's yeah, it not long I agree you know, I, I liked it it's long like some it people happen this. to like Kobe beef by the way yeah, yeah. I think and that's right some people happen to lo- really really love uh, Tim Powers and uh, certainly uh, there are there are a few authors that I enjoy or are just plain more fun to read, but there's no other author that I admire more. Scott, mm. uh, I wa- I was thinking a lot about you and your reaction to what's going on in this book because of all the Roman Catholicism that that sort of pervades the uh, the thinking. Uh, I assume Powers yeah. is a Roman Catholic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I, I don't think I don't think all his books are like this though. Um, I mean, I, I think it's Catholicism is mentioned more here than usual. Well, it's because yeah, he's, he's got a Catholic character, right? right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, but, what's interesting is uh, uh, Tim Powers will say, I um, studiously avoid inserting my opinions or anything tendentious into my books. And anytime I write something that I feel is tendentious, I immediately cut it out because that ruins it. Which I find a fascinating statement because, on the other hand, I mean, w- w- it's not hard to figure out that Tim Powers is a uh, you know believing Catholic, and uh, it's I don't so know, ingrained, as, yeah. As someone who's quite sympathetic uh, to his point of view and his uh, his uh, beliefs, I find it really hard to judge the book, and so. Maybe our two skeptics on the panel here can talk about how, whether you found it irritating or at least invasive, some of the, you know, this Catholicism is true, uh, I, which is sort of assumed by the novel and obviously assumed I, by the author. Did I, that bother? I, I, I don't know that Catholicism is assumed to be true because there's a lot of Muslim beliefs in this novel which yeah. seem, and, and we use the word jinn to describe them, so I'm not exactly... Right. Convinced that this novel says Catholicism is true, and for the record, I was raised Catholic, so, but but not to the point that I'm hostile to Catholicism. I mean, I found it interesting, like that he made the choice of having a raised Catholic in a very coe England, and that was a way to have him distinct be distinguished from the rest of rest of his society, even though that Catholicism in very many sense falls away. Lane is also Catholic because she was raised in Spain. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think this novel's saying, oh yeah, Catholicism is the true, is the true uh, religion. I think well, that... Well, it a, has a lot I, of the I, answers, though, hidden away in its, in its recesses, right? But on the other hand, they use an Egyptian Ankh as a symbol to yeah, ward right. off the... And we're, that's not Catholic at all, so... He, he's, he's very promiscuous in the use of uh, yes, both Christian and then sub-Christian, or you might say Christian-influenced mythology, and then, as you say, these other... Uh, the Islamic and other sources... But, like, for example, uh, as you're reading uh, fiction, you want to see your good characters experience redemption. And in these novels, Hale and uh, Elena 
experience redemption in a very specifically Catholic way. So that's the kind of thing where I'm thinking, would that, would, uh, would some skeptics, uh, you know, non-believers, you know, Heretics, heretics. Uh, agnostics, or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, heathen, you heathen people. Do you can you put up with that? Uh, You know what I'm saying. So there's a there's a streak of sympathy toward good old fashioned Catholic teaching dogma, which uh, I can't. uh, That's the question I'm asking. It it, apparently he he gave you enough wiggle room, or kept it vague or complicated enough. Apparently, you didn't. It didn't feel like a religious track. It feels like a a trauma that, you know, like we read a, uh, I don't know, Raymond Chandler book where, you know, the one thing they never talk about is the war, right? Uh, The war that just is over and all those dead people. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why everybody's drinking all the time, right? So (laughs) um, it it feels to me like Tim Powers is, you know, he, he experienced not like Paul's experience of the Catholic Church. He experienced the Catholic Church. It became <laughs> a thing, right? That he's he's working his way through, and except he's not so uh, non self aware that he doesn't know that. But it, it definitely you can feel it um, in in that it, it it feels good. But on the other hand, I was much more interested in in how he was working the Muslim angle in and. Um, how that, you know... If you read it carefully, though, there's nothing really that contradicts... That's right. You can always interpret things like, okay, they're called jinn, and uh, it, they're they're speaking Arabic, and everything's very Islamic in culture, but there's always a way that you can, oh, but they're actually just fallen angels yeah. as, as... They're both. And, well, yeah. And, you, and so, I guess, powers... Uh, the show of respect to the reader is to say you you can interpret this the way you want, but the, it it's not. Uh, I find it pretty clear. Uh, maybe I know too much about Tim Powers, uh, and so I can't interpret it purely on the basis of the text. But it sure looks to me like Tim Powers. Well, you can tell which side he's on. So that's yeah. Uh, Does he have a thumb on the scales? Yeah, but it's not. But for me, I don't know about about Scott. It didn't come down to the point of, oh, this is really just Catholic preaching. It doesn't come off as preachy. Like you, yeah, mu- you must convert. You must come. You must convert to Catholicism to save oh, your soul. Not yeah. at all. No, I didn't. I didn't feel I, I, that at all. In fact, he he said uh, to a Catholic audience one time, just this uh, um, speech that I have of his. He said, you know. Uh, a Catholic person coming to me looking for a Catholic novel is going to uh, feel a little odd. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that the, it's not what conference. he's doing at all. He's not, he's not uh, preaching. There's yeah. none of that in here. They, these people just are that way, you know. And actually, um, you know, uh, a Tim, the classic Tim Powers protagonist is this sad sack uh, loser, someone who's got some, as you say, trauma or really some profound moral failure uh, in his past. And so the redemption he's looking for is very provisional or, you know, I just don't want to completely, utterly screw up again. Please, God, just let me not, you know, end quite as bad of a failure. So uh, that's another thing that makes it seem not preachy, because he's not presenting any character as this 
goody two shoes. You know, Hale, Elena, they're both. You know, they both end up returning to the Catholic Church, but they're they're pretty bad Catholics. I mean, let's yeah, face there, it. there's none. Yeah, and that's that's more reality anyway. Right? <laughs> oh yeah, and you exactly. Know? And I, I, so, I would be love to know why Tim Powers is so drawn. You know, you think of the the character in Last Call. Uh, maybe not so much in Nubus Gates, but Alas Call, uh, the protagonist, is kind of reminds me of Hale. And then in some of his short stories, you get that too. What's yeah. the one that happens in the pizza parlor where uh, Satan is cast down from heaven? I'm spoiling it, of course, and uh, passes through a pizza parlor on his way to hell <laughs> and causes this anomaly that causes this bizarre time travel thing and the CIA is investigating it. Anybody read that story? Well, Does not but I, I want to try that the, pizza. I bet it's the, spicy. Yeah, the, uh, the, the uh, main character in that story or The Way Down the Hill is another person groping for redemption who is uh, in the way down the hill, the person has been, participated in these moral outrages. Is part of yeah, a well, secret uh, society. The characters, evil the characters in this novel that are looking for that immortality. Um, the the appeal of that is um, we're going to bypass the rules, right? We're right. going to yep. we're going to not be judged for the things that we've done, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, so they, by they the normal route we are damned. Yeah. There held by them even yep. you know even though they you know they were saying okay we're atheists and we're not going to be catholic um you know when they are communist or whatever mm-hmm. and uh but hale often says you know he wanted to confess stuff and uh elena when she's presented with a uh you know an imminent death you know she reverted to saying a hail mary i was hoping you know? i was hoping there was going to be a big uh elena section where we saw more of it from her her point of view yeah yeah um mm-hmm. because he's really good at psychology right when we see inside a hale's head uh when he's forgetting that you know he's a traitor uh but not a traitor and he's like he's enthusiastic about this and then oh wait uh, maybe i shouldn't be enthusiastic about this but whatever gotta go with mm-hmm. the flow and following the advice of his uh handler or whatever um Seeing it from Elena's point of view, we see only what Hale allows us to see most of the time. Um, and I think he's an honest broker in that respect. But um, she she talks briefly about uh, being in the, the Spanish Civil War. And that is something that's... I, I'm not trying to make the novel longer, okay? But <laughs> I'm like, I, I could use a that's lot more... That's more Del Toro territory. Let's the number of times we, we echo back to Ararat, right, is I could have used a few less of those and a few more of, um, of yeah, I, 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 re, I thought the best part was this being, just being in Paris, being a spy, um, and then having that just subtle little touch of, uh, like, when he's walking down the street following her in her footsteps... Oh, I love right? that. That's yeah. like, what? What does this mean? And and yet, that's totally, totally within the realms of the borderlands of of supernatural. That yeah. I'm like 100 percent there. Um, yeah, I think you make a good case that uh, the scenes in Paris are the best, are in most enjoyable yeah. parts of the book. It's great. It's great. I, I was trying to I was trying to work out exactly what year it was as well. Forty one. 
yeah, it's forty. It must be forty-one because they they had a New Year's right, and uh, it's it's before th- this event is out. But um, I, you know, he said something even like, I I'm like I know that he researched this. I don't even have to look it up. That they didn't <laughs> have a snow that year. Uh, uh, it was a it was a cold, but there was no snow. Yeah. And then, and then I I know like I happen to know because. I read a lot of shit that, you know, 1944, huge snowfall, right? <laughs> so it's like the weather yeah. is influencing the, the telling of the story in the way that it's the opposite style of writing of, right, the Bulwer-Lytton line. It was a dark and stormy night. Why was it dark and stormy night? Oh, well, because that reflects the emotions of the characters, right? Mm-hmm. The turmoil of the city, it, right? He's doing the opposite. He's saying, okay... There was an earthquake <laughs> near Mount Ararat. How do I explain that? Right? He's working backwards, and that is a really good and different technique, and it makes his writing, in a brilliant sense, um, better than so much more than the usual. Yeah, I'm I love I love that you looked up that NSA detail, and he was correct. That. Yeah, I, that's just awesome. I was I like, no, no, no. Uh, no, yeah. it was okay, it was up and active by then. Yeah, cool. This is a novel written in the twenty first century that you like. What is the world coming to? Yeah, I like it. I like it. Um, you know, there's some um, there was an yeah, it's barely in the twenty first century, notice that. <laughs> but still but still it counts. Um, there I there was another detail, it wasn't the NSA um one, but there was another detail like that where he just tosses off a, a line and I'm like uh, I'm pretty sure that that's going to be right, but he, the fact that he he tosses it off, it's almost like he enjoys it too much, <laughs> and then oh, it, oh, he, because well, I'm starting to think about it, I'm starting to think, oh, the, uh, that's a, it's like a Tim Powers checklist, right? And I've only read two of his novels, but it, it feels like okay, I, I can see what <laughs> he's doing at Tim Powers. That's a Tim Powers move. <laughs> <laughs> Watching a hockey player, you know, going down the ice. And he, he does one of those signature moves that only that player does. That's He's got a lot of those ticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe just the same tick over and over again. Yeah. So, yeah, th- those things would be totally excised um, in a adaptation because it gets other ticks going, right? But, yeah. But the scene, the scene where he's walking down the street of Paris in the middle of the street, following her footsteps in syncopation... Um, and that performs some kind of magical trick. That is actually like it's got to be from the field manual of how to avoid detection, right? He said something. I wouldn't wear this belt because um, it's too it attracts too much attention. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't wear that color, or, right? And then there's that lady in the uh, the other detail. That lady uh, with the bare feet radiating heat in the Moscow yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> those sorts of scenes totally will be in an adaptation and uh, yeah. not, it's yeah. a mistake yeah. uh-huh. I'm looking forward to whatever adaptation ever happens I'll probably that'd be cool they did the only oh, thing well, I can think of that's been adapted of his was um, on Stranger Tides and and, yeah, it was very, 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 very no, loose. No, no, no. It was just like well, it would make a really good it, it, it BBC really radio drama, name. actually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, listen. I think there's more to the story. Didn't they steal the idea of a, like a puppet, a marionette? They stole the idea from the book and used that in the what number three movie? Number three, I think. Yeah. And then they turned around and gave him a ton of money, and as you say, for the next movie, 
only used the name and it has nothing to do with this book at all. But yeah. no, they stole they stole the ideas from that book mm-hmm. uh, for, for a, a previous Pirates right, of the right. Caribbean movie. Mm-hmm. They, they all kind of blend in my brain after the first one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even sure. I mean, the I've first one's those. nice and then the rest of them are kind of like, which ha- what happened in which movie? I couldn't exactly tell yeah. you. Yeah. I've only seen the first one. It was they're fun. still making them. The first one's the best one. Yeah. The second two were good, but they're a little chaotic because they were writing the script as they went. And they just never, it shows. It was just, yeah, it shows big time just in the chaoticness of... It, it never came together, but... Um, I think I think this book would make a pretty good audio drama uh, with the, the amount of uh, telegraphy going on and, and the, the footsteps mm-hmm. and... You know, like a folklore audio, yeah. Yeah, and and with a with a a narrator, the conspiratorial narrator, you know, whispering mm-hmm. the thoughts of what what he's thinking when people are interviewing him. I think it would make a really good audio drama. Cool, long one. And obviously. the supernatural characters. Here's here's a crazy factoid that I'm sure Tim Powers uh, researched. You remember when uh, one character they're flying over the pyramids. And one character looks down, it's during World War II, and sees a pyramid of sandbags yes. built up under, supporting the chin yeah. of the Sphinx. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they say they, they were afraid that German bombs would fall nearby and break off the head of the Sphinx. Mm-hmm. Do you, does anyone doubt that that's a historical fact that Tim it, Powers knows about? It's Tim you know, Powers. That, I don't doubt yeah. it. I don't, I, I don't. I didn't even feel the need to look it up. Um, right. Uh, the the detail when he talks about the particular the airplane that was stripped down well it wasn't stripped down it wasn't built with seat belts or padding or uh, navigation equipment and they had to oh. fly uh, that's oh. uh, don't need to look that up either that's a yak no. you know the, I, this typical Russian aircraft from World War One or World War Two where you know we're we're spending it on other things comrade <laughs> I, I I I just had to Google it. I found a time life photo that shows the Sphinx with the sandbags. See, he wow. spends so much time research. It's, it's surprising he can get any books written. Yeah, I, how does he live? I don't understand it. <laughs> Where does he sleep? This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.